We've been looking at the last couple of weeks, we saw the measure of maturity. The measure of maturity is what I speak to others, what I speak to myself. These are the thoughts and things we have in our head. Or sometimes we're just talking to ourselves. We tell, our, tell ourselves things that we expect for the future, even our present. What I speak to others, what I speak to myself, and what I pick up or put away. We saw that Paul exhorted the Christians in the church. He said, we've got to put away childish things. Sometimes we're picking up childish things. Sometimes we're not putting them away. We've got to pick up the mature things. At the end of the last couple of weeks, I've had this same, same part, but I end up scrapping it because it's just, well, we're not going to have enough time to get into that. So we're just going to focus here today on looking at the, uh, I put it as seven qualities of spiritual maturity. There are far more qualities than seven, but I just wrote down seven. These are the ones, as I was looking at things in uh, qualities that were inside of some of the mature people in the Word, in particular, some of the scriptures that we know, the fruits of the Spirit. I pulled out seven. These are just seven things that we can concentrate on. Sometimes it doesn't help us to have a list of 20 things. It helps us to have a list of five, six, seven, whatever it might be. And we can just focus on these. And today we're just looking at one, and that is the quality of steadfastness. If you will turn over to the 10th chapter of Hebrews, verse 23, it says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. The word we're looking at here is the word that is translated hold fast. I gave my own definition of steadfast, and steadfast, it's translated in the Bible from several different words. But steadfast is resolute, unwavering, not moved by emotion or any other force that would come against us, would be one who is steadfast. If you looked at a soldier who was given an assignment, guard this hill, protect this spot, he would be considered steadfast if he didn't move off of that because of fear. Because he was by himself. Because of uncertainty. He had the assignment, stay here on this hill, and he stayed there. A steadfast soldier will stay and not, not move off of those things. This word here, uh, hold, hold fast, it would mean, it has come from the Greek word, kateko, and it means to hold down fast, Hold firmly or have or keep in memory. Hold down or hold fast. Hold firmly or have or keep in, in memory. Let us hold fast. Let us hold us down. Let us hold this firmly. Let us keep this in memory. Let us hang on to this. Don't forget it. Keep it there. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. The New Century Version translates it this way. Let us hold firmly to the hope that we have confessed because we can trust God to do what He promised. Let us hold firmly to the hope that we have confessed. Williams translates it this way. Let us, without ever wavering, keep on holding to the hope that we profess. Let us, without ever wavering, keep on holding to the hope that we profess, for He is to be trusted who has made the promise. It's very easy to begin to waver, but one of the things that the Word of God tells us to do is to hold fast. One who is mature, the more mature we get in the things of God, the less we are apt to let go. A newborn believer, they may feel like they are born again today, but then all of a sudden they feel guilty for some of their past sins and they're wavering on that. That's because of their immaturity. A mature believer knows no matter how I feel about my salvation, no matter how I feel about my forgiveness, I know I am forgiven. And that's the, that's the mature way of, of doing it. Sometimes we even do this with people. Sometimes because of the way I feel overrides what it is that, uh, that someone said. I remember um, Brother Hagen talked about that in the area of forgiveness. He had a lady who came up to him and said, um, I don't feel like God has forgiven me course he's trying to teach her that has nothing to do with feelings 
And so uh, they had mentioned some kind of a skirmish that had gone on and with somebody else. And they said, did they ask you to forgive them? Yes. And, um, or no, she, she had asked them to forgive her. Do you believe that, that they did that? And she said, yes. I said, well, then you have more faith in so-and-so than you do in God. And sometimes we can do that. We can have more faith in other people, more faith in what other people say than the things what God says. But if God says we are forgiven, then we are. And the more mature we are, the less we can be shaken on that. The more mature we are, the more we walk in the promises of God that he has said. And we don't waver from these things. Here's a couple of other places where this word is used. In Luke chapter 8, 15, but the ones, speaking of the, the seed, but the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. That word, keep it, is our word here. This is talking about good seed. The good seed are those who have heard the word with a noble and good heart, and they keep it, and they bear fruit. They hold on to it. In John 5, 4, And an angel went down at a certain time into a pool and stirred up the water, that whoever stepped in first, after the stirring of the water, was made well of whatever disease he had. I bet you didn't see that word jump out at you in that verse, did you? It's right there at the end where it says that any disease, whatever disease he had. Now, that either this person is hanging on to the disease, they're holding on to it, or the disease is holding on to them. Have you ever had a thing that just held on to you? A sickness or a disease or some kind of a infirmity? Something that you want to get rid of, but it just seems to hang on to you? This is where this word is. You can get a picture of it that way. They might want to let it go, but maybe it doesn't want to let go. Romans 7, 6, But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by. This is used of how the, the law got a hold of us. And it, not only did the law get a hold of us, but look at it as it goes on, so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit, not in the oldness of the letter. It changes the way that we serve. It changes what we do. That law held on to us. That law held on to us so good, we needed a Savior to come and deliver us from it. That's what kind of a hold that that uh, had on us. When this word is talking about hold on, it's, it's mean you've got to get a grip on that thing and hang on to it. And the only reason that you should have to hold on to something that tightly is if something is going to try and shake you. Something is going to come along and try and shake you from it. In Hebrews 3, 6 and 14, we're going to take a look at both those verses of Scripture. Hebrews 3, 6, But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. Hold on to it, firm to the end. Not everybody holds on to things to the end. Sometimes we let go a little bit too soon. We were holding on, holding on, holding on. Oh, I just give up on this thing. No, hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. This is what a mature person does. They grab hold of that thing and they don't let it go. They hang on. They hang on. No matter what comes against you, you hang on. You see, you've got to brace yourself. You've got to know something is coming to try and dislodge me from this. Something is going to try and dislodge me from my confession. Someone is, something is going to come and try and dislodge me from my belief that I am healed. Something is going to try and dislodge me from the promises that I have in my life right now, from whatever blessings that God has given me. Something is coming to try and dislodge you from those things. Hebrews 3.14 For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. So we can become partakers. We all love those verses. I'm partakers, I'm partakers, I'm partakers. But it also says you've got to hold fast to the end. That means you've got to get hold, hang on to that thing, and don't let it go. Hang on like it's, this is your... Your, your last chance, if you let go of this, you will slip into the abyss, slip into something. No, you just don't let go. You hang on to this thing. Williams puts this translation this way, for we have become real sharers in Christ if we keep firm to the end the faith we had at first. If we keep firm to the end the faith we had at first. Don't let it go. New, the Luton Living translation says this, for if we are faithful to the end, Trusting God as firmly as when we first believed, we will share in all that belongs to Christ. If we are faithful to the end. 
trusting God just as firmly as when we first believed. Don't let these things go. Sometimes we, we get a little lax hold on this. We, we just kind of, well, we just kind of let it go. No, you got to hang on to this. You got to do something to, to put it in. I don't know if you ever have ever traveled around. Um, I, I have never had to do this, but sometimes I get these ads up for these uh, pants that you can buy that are good for going to the airport and good for traveling because you can put things in them and no one can pick them. And I've never, never had any reason to, to, to do that. I guess if you fly in the airport a lot or you, you do things, then you have to do this sort of thing. But they've got a, a zipper inside of a compartment, inside of a, and so, you know, you gotta do some work to get your passport out. It doesn't just come, come right on out, but that's the whole idea is that so does anybody else. They have to do some, some work to it. So even though I don't have it on to with my hands, I've gotta firmly put it in a pocket, inside of a pocket, inside of a pocket, a button and a zipper and all sorts of other stuff. And they're not gonna be able to just walk on up there and get it. I've got a firm hold on this thing. This is what we gotta do. We got, what can we do to make sure that we have hold of this? Because the enemy is going to try and come and get you to not hold on. One of the things about being steadfast and walking in a steadfast way is hold on to what you have. Don't let it go. What knowledge you've got, what understanding you've got, don't let it go. Hang on to it. He goes on here in 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight. We put this one on your bulletin cover for you this time. This word is only used three times in the New Testament. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable. Now, the word there is steadfast. The word here for immovable is actually a combination word. And what they did was they took the word metakineo, which means to stir to a place elsewhere, remove or to move away. That you're here, but if, if this word comes into play... This is stirring you to another place. Now, they put the prefix A in front of it, which negates it. Makes it a negative. So, he says, immovable. That's why it's translated immovable. Because the word means movable, but we put the A in front. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So, be steadfast and immovable. This, this word here, means settled, steadfast, and the word itself also carries the notion of being immovable. But he just emphasized the point, he threw in a word too, that it, that it said, do not be moved, do not be movable. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. The new, I'm sorry, the New English translation reads it this way. So then, dear brothers and sisters, be firm, do not be moved. Do not be moved. Always be outstanding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Do not be moved. But be firm. Be firm. Know that if this exhortation is given, whatever stand you are making, whatever you are supposed to be steadfast in, something is coming to knock you off. This is not God trying to knock you off. It is not God's desire to knock you off. It is not God's desire to see you get knocked off. He wants you to make the stand. He's probably cheering in the, in the, uh, the grandstands there. Come on, you can do it. Williams puts it this way. So my dear brothers, continue to be firm, incapable of being moved. That's pretty strong right there. Incapable of being moved. Always letting the cup run over in the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the service of the Lord is never thrown away. I like that last part. Your labor in the service of the Lord is never thrown away. But I have to... He's telling me to continue to be this way. Continue to be firm. It seems to indicate that they were being firm, but he says, don't let it up. Don't stop. How many times have we stood for something and we stood and we stood? How long do I got to stand for this God? How long do I got to stay on this thing? You see, a mature person, they just, well, we're just, we're just in this. A mature person, they look at the kids, they're growing up, they're, they're into stuff, they're causing trouble, and they say, how come this isn't over yet? I've been raising these kids for four years. Now you got a few more years left ahead of you. 
Here's another place where this word is used. Colossians 1.21 And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. If indeed, there's that if again, if indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast. If you continue. You see, something's going to try and get you to stop. Something's going to try and get you to derail, to go in a different direction. Grounded and steadfast and not moved away. There's our word for move again, metakaneo, to stir to a place elsewhere or remove or move away. So be, be grounded and steadfast and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. So his main exhortation here is in verse 23, but I want you to see the parts of the sentence that came before. If indeed you continue in the faith, it is not good enough to start. You have to continue. Well, how long do I continue? Well, we all like to have time frames. Well, I'll continue and I'll believe God for a healing for a year. That's pretty good. That's kind of like the disciples came up to Jesus. They said, how many times should we forgive my, my brother who sins against me? Seven? Seven times in a day? He thought he was doing pretty good. Seven How many times have you had to forgive the same person for a thing seven times in a day? Should I, should I do it that much? And Jesus said, oh, no, no, no. We're not counting here. You just keep on going. Don't be counting. Don't get into the time things. If indeed you continue in the faith grounded and steadfast and are not moved away. Here's some other verses that talk about some things that will help us. They don't necessarily use this word. But in 1 Corinthians 4.2 Moreover, it is required in stewards, stewards that one be found faithful. If we are stewards of the things of God, it is required that I be faithful. It is required that I do what God wants me to do. It's not requested. It's required. Whatever God has said to do regarding the faith, whatever God has said to do regarding my calling, whatever God has said to do regarding the things that I'm by faith believing for, it is required for me to be found faithful. Second Timothy 2 and 15. Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth who does not need to be ashamed. What causes shame? And we're talking about shame here between us and God. What causes God? If I'm going to be uh, diligent to present myself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, the approval comes from God. God will look upon us and say, something about what we did was shameful. What is it that would cause me to be shamed? I need to understand those things and I need to stay away from them. Well, God doesn't want me to do that. So I'm going to stay out of that area. God doesn't want me to entertain those thoughts. God doesn't want me to think those things. So I'm going to stay away from, from those areas. What causes shame? I need to be diligent to present myself approved to God. New Living Translation reads it this way. Work hard so you can present yourself to God and receive His approval. Be a good worker one who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly explains the word of truth. So I keep going out. I keep putting the effort out. I keep going. I don't, I don't back off. New Century Version. Make every effort to give yourself to God as the kind of person He will approve. Very, very often people live their lives to get the approval of certain people in this world. The one that we really need is the approval of is, is our Father God. What am I doing to get his approval. Sometimes people will alter what they're doing down here on earth not to approve, not to get his approval, but to get people's approval. Well, I'll go ahead and I'll do this. I'll go ahead and I'll walk this way. I'll go ahead and I'll think this way. I'll go ahead and I'll speak this way because people around me, they want that. What is able, i put this in your outline for you, what is able to move you? What kind of things gain leverage? You know, if you're having a hard time moving something, the biggest thing you can get is something that will give you leverage. Something that you can put under there and pry it off. If you can't bring, break something off the way that it is, then you want to get something that will help you to get more, more leverage on that. 
something that, something that makes it longer, something that gives you a, a better grip, something that will give you the ability to get hold of that thing. Uh, very often, if you've, if you've ever seen some mechanics and stuff, uh, they have those wrenches, and they put the wrench on something, maybe on a tire, but that thing is just really on there, maybe even rusted on there. And so what you can do is you can take that wrench, and you go out there, and you get a PVC pipe. And you can get a PVC pipe three, four, five, six, seven feet long. And you put that PVC pipe on the end of that wrench. And now you can get all the way out here to the end. And now you've got all this extra leverage. Because one little inch that you move over here is a whole lot easier than moving the same inch all the way over here. And so I don't need as much. To, so I can come over here and I can begin to move that. And I can begin to, to get that thing loosened. That's what leverage is. Leverage gives you something of an advantage. The enemy is trying to find leverage for you. We've all seen those spy movies. You know, they're trying to get leverage. And so they get the family members and they send them pictures. We know where your family is. If you don't do what we want, then we're coming after your family. They're doing something to try and get leverage on this. What is able to move you? I put in four categories here. You can probably figure out some other ones. But first off, physical. What makes you uncomfortable? What things make you uncomfortable that there is leverage to get you to move? Some people, you know, just in the natural, just physically, if it's cold, that can get you to move. You look at some of those uh, soldiers that guard the tomb. What is it, the, the unknown soldier? They have that, uh, the guards out there. And they're out there no matter how cold it is and no matter what, whether it's rainy or snowy. And they guard that tomb and they, uh, they train for these things and they, they are ready for it and they have so many weeks that they're going to put in and, and, uh, and do this. But they don't move. They stay there. This is my position, and they keep doing the pacing back and forth. No matter what the weather is like, they just keep going. They're not moved off of that. Physically, they're not moved. People will look at that, and they'll say, how do you stay there? How do you continue to, to march and to be in the rain or be in the wind or be in the cold or be in the heat or whatever it might be that is there? See, something physical. A lot of people will look at that and say, I couldn't physically take that. Physically, it would have the leverage on me, and I would say, uncle. I would say, no. I would say, uh, I'm moving on that. People that are, the soldiers that are training for the SEALs and for the special groups and things, they're trying to see what is your breaking point. Because if we can get you to your breaking point here, you won't be much good to us out there. And so they're trying to see what is, what's going to be there. Physically, they're coming after them with some things. Physically, what makes you uncomfortable? There are some things that the enemy knows about you that physically is going to make you uncomfortable. For some Christians, just because I'm feeling some pain, well, I'm just going to, I'm not going to believe God for this anymore. I've, I've been believing God for a while. I still got this pain. See, that's something physical. And that physical thing is trying to get you to move. You believe in God. I believe that I'm healed. I believe that nothing is going to come near me. And then you feel a little sniffle. Oh, no. I'm getting, a, I'm getting a cold or I'm getting something. Something physical comes in and it makes you uncomfortable. But we have to get to the place where we hold fast. No, no matter what physically comes in, I'm going to do this thing. Mental. What gets you worried? What gets you fearful or anxious? The enemy knows that certain things can come in and get you worried and get you fearful or get you anxious. For some people... Things in the area of sickness and disease, they don't get worried about it. They don't get anxious about it. They don't get fearful at all. But finances, oh, finances, that can be something. And so the devil will start sowing uh, things about the economy, things about uh, supply, whatever kind of, whatever it can do to, to get you to be mentally thinking on these things. He's trying to use leverage on you. What's the leverage that we have? What gets you worried? What gets you fearful? What gets you anxious? Because we got to move you. And in order to move you, i got to use something against you. So far, you've resisted me just coming up and getting you. If you resisted the enemy who just comes up and just hits you, but you still stay there, after a while, he's going to say, all right, we've got to do something else. I've got to come up with something that begins to leverage them off. Something that I can get in there mentally and get them to be thinking on. To get them to be fearful of, worried about anxious on because if I can get them thinking on the wrong things then I can get them to move leverage here's a third one emotional 
what gets you to question or to feel differently. And so we'll, we'll throw some emotion things in there. What can I get in your head to get you to question this? Sometimes we just get you to question God. Remember the disciples in the boat? The storm came up. They're out there bailing, bailing the water, bailing the water, bailing the water. Eventually, something got inside on their emotions and they received the thought, the master doesn't care. So they come down to Jesus and they wake him up very abruptly. Master, don't you care that we are perishing? Of course he cares. They threw out all the things that happened before that he did, and now they're focused on just this one event. This is what the enemy will try and get you to do. They hadn't moved, but now they moved. Because something got in their emotions, got them to question, got them to feel differently. They were feeling differently about Jesus than before. Did Jesus do anything wrong? He did not, but the enemy came in and he got them to think these things. When Lazarus died and he was greeted by Mary and Martha, what did they say? If you had been here, he wouldn't have died. And they're, they're probably getting a little angry. Why isn't Jesus here? Of course Jesus would come. Of course Jesus would come and, and take care of Lazarus for us, but he didn't come. And Lazarus died. And he's in the tomb. Four days he's in the tomb. What do you think they're thinking about all that time? See, the enemy has some leverage now and he's trying to move them off. Jairus is on the road. The woman with the issue of blood comes up. She gets healed. He's standing there waiting for Jesus to get going. The messengers come. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Your little girl is dead. What's that play on? That's getting his emotions. That's his girl. She just died. And Jesus says... Don't be afraid. He's just stay in there, stay in faith. Because the enemy is going to try and get you to move off. Whatever he can do. If, if something physical won't get you to go, then we're going to go into areas of something mental. Something that gets you worried, fearful or anxious. Something emotional. Something that gets you to question or to feel differently. And fourth, something external. What makes you feel pressure to move from or vacate your position? What kind of, what kind of pressure? Is, is this family? If family says, I need you to do this, but I'm not, I'm not supposed to do that. The Word of God tells me not to do that. Yeah, but we need you to do this. Can family pressure you? Can, get you, can they get you to vacate your position? Can they get you to, to, uh, to steer off of that? Well, I know you're a born-again Christian, but I don't want to hear none of that born-again talk around here. Well, we'll come over to your house, but I don't want to hear nothing about Jesus. And see, they'll try and pressure you. They'll try and get you to, to, to say or not say certain things. These are ways that the enemy tries to get leverage because his goal is, I've got to get you to move. We read over all those verses that talk about not moving. He's got to get you to move. The more mature we are, the more it takes to get us to move. And we want to get to the spot where we don't move at all. Now daily we experience this challenge in these areas. Each of these things that we face, this is training. This is training that is for battles that are to come. But many people, they fail the training. We're not getting through the training. If we fail the training, what will become of us in battles? The enemy has come against us. We've made a stand on things in the Word of God. We've made a stand on healing. We've made a stand on, the, on sharing the gospel. We've made a stand on finances. Whatever it might be. I've made a stand, but the enemy is trying to get me off of it. Little things will come up. And in those little things, if I move in those little things, I'm not taking the training that I need. David had training that he did all through the time he was shepherding the sheep. God was training him to be a king because the pressures that would come against him as a king were far greater than the pressures that came to him as a shepherd. But he had to handle the ones as a shepherd before he could handle the ones as a king. After he handled the ones with the shepherd, then he had to handle the ones as a soldier. And he became a soldier in Saul's army and he went out to battle. He wasn't in charge of the whole kingdom. He was in charge of some people. And then sooner he became in charge of more. And then, and then more came. You look at it with Daniel. 
Daniel was given a little. First thing he was hit with when he came over into Babylon was the dream. Everyone's going to be wiped out. He took that on. And he wasn't moved by the emotion of it. He wasn't moved by the threat of death. He just said, hey guys, let's go and pray. God will give it to us. And God did give it to him. And we saw all through, more pressure came up. People in the kingdom said, you will compromise. You will not do these things. No, no, I'm staying with it. And he stayed. And no matter how much they came against him mentally, no matter how much they came against him physically, no matter how much they came against him emotionally, no matter what external things they tried to put on him, he stayed. He would not be moved. Daniel was a very mature person. Those are the things we need to, to go after. This little stuff that you're facing, little skirmishes you're facing with neighbors, little skirmishes you're facing in your family, little skirmishes you're facing in your head as you, as you begin to believe God for a healing on the thing, and in your head you're feeling this little skirmish. All these things are helping to train you. The enemy is trying to take you down, but this is the place that you can be trained. You can be made ready. You can be made stronger. What are you doing with the training? There's a lot of times we just throw it out. Well, no, I'm just going to think this. I'm going to just do this. The Word of God says, believe the best. We've talked about it a number of times. Believe the best in others. How many times do we face the temptation to fall off of that? See, those are little skirmishes. This is time for you to be training. This is time for you to get yourself ready. But we're not doing it. Or hopefully we are. So what shall become of us in battles if we don't go through the training? But you know what? Most of, most of those Christians, they will blame God for allowing it. Or they'll say, oh, well, I miss God because I'm here. That's why this thing got to be so bad. No, you just didn't go through the training. There was some training. God didn't set it up and say, this is the training that's going to be here. He just simply knows that in living life, stuff is going to happen. People are going to do things. And we need to get trained for it. Get to a place where all that doesn't make doesn't give the enemy leverage. What comes against you physically? What comes against you mentally? What comes against you emotionally? What comes against you externally? 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13. Watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave and be strong. Let all you do be done with love. There's our words we're going to be looking at here. Stand fast. He says, watch, stand fast in the faith. This word here means to be stationary, to persevere, to stand firm, or to stand fast. It doesn't just mean to be stationary. It means that while you are there and you are manning that post, you are manning that position, you have that belief, while you are there, no matter what comes against you, no matter what persecution comes, no matter what pressure comes, you will not move. I am staying here. I'm not going to be moved. To be stationary, to persevere, to stand firm, or to stand fast. Now this particular word is a perfect tense stem of histamy. It is, anytime you see this word, uh, stako, anytime you see this word, it is always the perfect tense. It is a perfect tense stem of histamine. Now, perfect tense. You have heard me talk about this before. You probably heard other people talk about it before. It is a past completed action having present and continuing results. It is a beautiful tense. It is a tense that they use to describe the things of the cross. The cross is a past completed action. It is not ongoing. It is not still being done. It is completed. It is finished. But the results of that continue on into the present and will continue on into the future. That's what that tense means. We don't have that kind of a tense in English. They had it here in Greek. Whenever we see this word, it is always the perfect tense. It is talking about something that was already done that is having a, uh, uh, a reaction here in our present and in our future. So he says, watch Stand fast in the faith, be brave, and be strong. When he uses this word, what he's talking about is, in the past, you have made a decision to stand fast in the faith. And that decision that you made 
is having results now. And it's going to continue to have results. That's what happens when he uses this. If In Isaiah 7 and verse 9, he says, If you will not believe, surely you will not be established. If you will not believe, surely you will not be established. We need to step in that spot and be believed. I want to be established, but I've also got to be the one who's in the, in the believing. Now, we said this is the perfect tense of the Greek word histemi. In 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 2, we'll see where this word histemi is used. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received in which you stand, by which you are saved if you hold fast that word which I preached to you unless you believed in vain. Now, see there, we're not looking at a past action. We're looking at something we do. If you hold fast. This is something that you need to do now. That's 1 Corinthians 15, 1 and 2. 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 6. And now you know what is restraining. That is that word. That word restraining there is our word that we're using here in this one. Histomy. And now you know what is restraining. That means it's not a past completed action that is having current results. It is something that is ongoing. It is present tense. That which is restraining, that's us. The church is the one that restrains the things that are coming in the time of the tribulation. We hold it back. That's why we have to be removed. And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. We will eventually be taken out of the way. And there will be no restraint. But for the meantime, we are the restraint. We are the thing that is holding it back. Picture yourself this way. I am holding back what the enemy wants to do. The enemy has designs. He would already be doing those designs right now. But he can't because the church is here and we are holding Holding it back. Now the words stake out. 1 Corinthians 16 verse 13. Let's take a look at some more places where the perfect tense is used, not the present. Verse 13. Watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave and be strong. This is talking about being. This is talking about being in this state. Let all you do be done with love. Galatians 5 and 1. Stand fast therefore in the liberty by which Christ has made us free and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Talking about present... Uh, I'm sorry, talking about things that we have done. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Stand fast. Make sure you've made that decision. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. Philippians 1.27 Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. That you stand fast in one spirit, one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. We need to stand fast on that faith of the gospel. 1 Thessalonians 3.8 For now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. 2 Thessalonians 2.15 Hold what you were taught. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught whether by word or our epistle. Stand fast and hold the traditions that you were taught. There are some things that we have been taught from the word that we need to maintain. They're not outdated. They're things that we still ought to do, still ought to follow. There are some examples that we'll see in this because nothing works better than to see an example. I'm just pulling out two of them here for you, for us to see. One is Moses. This is the man who stayed steadfast. If you want to take a look at a, an example of someone who stayed steadfast, Moses is certainly one of those people. His fear of failure tried to get him to move, tried to get him to move off the word that God spoke to him. In the burning bush, God spoke to him, but even before that, God had spoken to him about being a deliverer, and he went out to do that, and because of the pressure that came, because he feel like, felt like he failed, he gave up on that for 40 years, and he walked away from it. He let his own failure talk about that. When God appeared in the burning bush, he's bringing up his past failure. He's bringing up why he can't get it done. This is a lot of times what we'll do. It's not a mature thing. This is Moses, 80 years old, not acting in the way of, of a mature person. Though he'll change this in a little while. But his failure tried to get him to, 
tried to get him to move off of what God said to do, what God spoke to him to do. Later on, we'll find out that his wife tried to move him off. She tried to get him to, to, to veer. And actually, she did. She got him to not circumcise his boys, even though he was supposed to because of the, what God had told him to do. But she didn't want it. She didn't want to do that. And so when they're on their way over to obey God and go out to Egypt, remember, God was ready to slay them. And so she went out there and she circumcised the boys and she called him a husband of blood. She wasn't very happy about all that. Apparently, she turned tail and went home. And Moses went on to, to do what he wanted because later on, Jethro shows up with her. So even his wife tried to get him to move off. Pharaoh tried to get him to move off with all kinds of threats of what he was going to do. And actually, he did some things and he persecuted the people. And that had to be even an emotional thing. He's seen his people that he's supposed to come here and help and they're, everything is being made worse for him. This is, that's an emotional tug. He's seen the abuse that they're taking. And I'm sure he's, wish, he's wishing, look, beat me, don't beat them. But that's not what's going on. He had complaining people tried to move him off because they came and they complained because of uh, no straw. He had a lack of success with those first couple of ones that tried to get him to move off. God, he, he even comes back to God and says, God, I'm, the, I'm no good at this. Told you back at the burning bush. I was no good at this. And God had told him, it's going to take ten plagues. But he's ready to do it on the first one. And when the first one failed, the second one failed, he's thinking, I have failed God. In the wilderness, the people continued to complain. There was a lack of food, lack of water. That tried to move him off. I'm sure his, in his head, he's hearing these things. What kind of a leader are you to lead all these people into the wilderness where there's no water? And these things are messing with him. We're trying to get some leverage. We're trying to get him to move. The more he stands, the harder he is to get to move. The enemies of the people, they tried to get him to move off. He's facing armies with a bunch of uh, people that were just enslaved. They, they didn't know how to fight. Enemies of the people, they tried to get him to move off. Sin and the fickleness of the people, that tried to move him off. Seeing what these people were doing. All the, the rebellions that had gone on. The uh, ones with Korah, the ones with uh, other ones. that uh, you know, The ground opens up, fire comes down, burns people up. This is not what he wants. This is not what he desires. This is all trying to play on his emotions and get him to move. But he wouldn't move. Exhaustion may have even tried to get him to move until Jethro came along for the visit and said, hey, what you're doing, it's going to wear you out, it's going to wear them out. You need to back off. You need to let some other people help you out with this. And so he did. But he may have uh, had exhaustion trying to, to get him into that. All these things came against Moses. Some of them, it seemed like he gave into for a little bit. But uh, we know that the one that he did give into was when he got so angry at the people because they kept challenging God. They kept disbelieving God despite all the things that God had done. Here they are facing the exact same thing they faced when they first came out, no water, and they're reacting in exactly the same way. And it's like there has been no growth. He may even feel like, what kind of a failure am I? I haven't gotten these people even past this first kind of a test. They're still responding in the exact same way. He's mad, he's angry, his emotions are stirred up. And the enemy gets him to do something he wasn't supposed to do. And just got a little bit of movement. And instead of speaking to the rock, he struck it. And God said, all right, you're not going to lead the people into the promised land. Now here's one who was not so successful. And that was Jeroboam. We'll read some of the verses that go around with this. But in 1 Kings 11... 28 and 29, the man Jeroboam was a mighty man of valor and Solomon, seeing that the young man was industrious, made him the officer over all the labor force of the house of Joseph. Now it happened at that time when Jeroboam went out of Jerusalem that the prophet Ahijah, the Shilonite, met him on the way and he had clothed himself with a new garment and the two were alone in the field. Now we don't get a whole lot on Jeroboam, but if he caught God's attention Something was going on good with this guy. Something was happening. He caught Solomon's attention because of what he was doing. So the man was growing in some things in maturity 
the man was not moved. The man was brave. The man was industrious. He got things done. Solomon wanted to promote him. God wanted to promote him. God had the prophet come on out. Verse 40, Solomon therefore sought to kill Jeroboam, but Jeroboam arose and fled to Egypt, to Shishak, king of Egypt, and was in Egypt until the death of Solomon. Now he might have been thinking, what good does it do to serve God and get all these promises from God? I just I got kicked out of my own land. People want to kill me. But he still didn't move. He still has God's attention. That's how we know he didn't move. Because if he had moved, he wouldn't have God's attention anymore. But he still has God's attention. And so they went and they put him in charge. They made him king over the ten northern tribes, just as God had said. And God had given him a promise. If you will follow after me, if you'll do what is right, as, the house, as, as David had done, I will make of your house an enduring house just like I did David. That's the word of God to him. And as soon as he gets put into the position, we see in verse 26, And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now the kingdom may return to the house of David. What did God say? If you will do, if you will be faithful, if you will continue in, I will make of your house an enduring house just like I did for David. That's God's promise. But thoughts came in. So a thought comes in and begins to play with him. Begins to play with his emotions. You know what they're going to do. They're all on your side right now. But after a while, they're going to be missing David. They're going to be missing Jerusalem. They're going to be missing all the stuff that went down in Jerusalem. They're going to have all those feasts. They're going to be traveling back over to Jerusalem. And eventually they're going to come on back and say, Why in the world did we split apart? Let's go back to the house of David. Let's get rid of Jeroboam. These are the thoughts that are coming into his mind. These are the thoughts that he's entertaining. And he's messing with them. He's not standing fast. If he would have stood fast on the things of God, he would have been all right. Now see, this is the man. He walked in maturity. He walked in enough maturity that he got God's attention. He got Solomon's attention. He was steadfast. He was industrious. He was someone that you could put things in their hand and they did good, good things with it. He was someone that you can count on. But now he's beginning to think about stuff. If these people, verse 27, go up to offer sacrifices in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will turn back to their Lord, Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they will kill me and go back to Rehoboam, king of Judah. Now, that's not what God said. So this is not inspired by God, is it? This is not wisdom that comes from God. But he's acting on it like it is. Many times Christians act on things that come into their head, come into their heart, but they're not from God. But they think on it, and they act on it, and it causes them to do things that are unfaithful to what God had said. Steadfast. Be steadfast. And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now the kingdom may return to the house of David if these people go up to offer sacrifices in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem. Then the heart of this people will turn back to their Lord, Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they will kill me. Go back to Rehoboam, king of Judah. Therefore the king asked advice, made two calves of gold, and said to the people, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, O Israel, which brought you up from the land of Egypt. Now that all came about because of what he entertained. See, the enemy was trying to find a way to get some leverage on him. Up until then, he hadn't gotten it. Up until then, he tried to get him to do things and to move off of God's promises, and he wouldn't move off of it. So much so that God's attention was on this guy. Remember we looked at last week? God looked to and fro. He's looking for people to show himself strong on. His words to King Asa. He's looking for people to show himself strong. He saw Jeroboam. This is the man I can show myself strong on behalf. And as soon as he got into the place, thoughts came and he dropped it. Just because, just because you have gone through 10 years, 20 years, 30 years walking with God, doing the things of God, just because you have all those years behind you does not mean that you are immune to this. You've got to keep the training going. You've got to keep going on with it. You can't let it back off from it. Keep, keep going. Stay with it. 
the measure of maturity again. What I speak to others, watch how you speak to other people. What I speak to myself, the words you speak to yourself are more important than the words that God spoke to you because they're the ones that have come about. And what I pick up or put away. Those four things. What I speak to others, what I speak to myself, what I pick up or what I put away. So steadfast is this. Hold on to, be settled, stand firm, be immovable and stationary and persevere. If you're going to be steadfast, you are going to hold on. You are going to be settled. You will stand firm. You will be immovable and stationary and you will persevere. If you want to know, am I steadfast before God? As we looked at a whole lot of scriptures, the reason for it is I want you to see all this that's in there. There's not just one or two. This is all through it. If we will walk in these things, we will be a person that will get God's attention. And God will say, hmm, you see what's going on down there? Now, the best support teams are made up of those who are not moved. Isn't that right? The best support teams are made up of people that are not moved. We're not moved to the left or to the right. If you have people on your support team and they're always moving, one time they're with you, then they're not. One time they're going to help you, then they don't. The best support teams are made up of those who are not moved. If you want people like that around you, people that aren't moved, first off, sow seeds by being steadfast yourself. You've got to sow the seeds. Don't be fickle. Don't back down. Be one of those tough kind of people. Be one of those, those kind that you're going to hang on to. Steadfast people get attracted to steadfast people. That's just how, how we go. They, they have that toughness about them. How many of you have ever seen that? Um, the, I'm sure most people have probably seen it. The um, um, One right out of my head. The uh, movie with the, the team and the integration of the high school. Um, remember the Titans. Remember the Titans. And you, uh, I love the scene at the camp. And he, he, the coach began to, to uh, pair them all off. And you have to go and talk to a teammate of a different color than you are. And they had some interaction. And the thing that always struck you the most, and I'm sure that, you know, the people in the movie, they wanted you to see this, is the, uh, the two guys on defense. And they, they just, they were opposed to each other because they thought that each one was, was not as good. But they eventually began to say, hey, you are of the same mindset that I am. Even though your skin color is different, you're the same mindset that I am. And so they began to, instead of just repel each other, they began to be drawn to each other and they struck up a friendship. There was a, a great friendship, strong friendship. Oh, the movie had such a, a wonderful time. To me, in a true story, it was great to see that. But you see, when you develop steadfast traits in yourself, you will draw steadfast people to yourself. They will be drawn to you. You're going to sow seeds of being steadfast. Those seeds will come back. But steadfast people are attracted to steadfast people. So if you want people around you that are steadfast, if you want people around you that get God's attention this way, sow seeds of being steadfast, number one. And number two, steadfast people will attract steadfast people. They're just going to be attracted to you. Now think about it this way. If you were God and you had people that you depended on, where would you send them? Wouldn't you send them to the people that are going to be able to use them the most? Were, were the most important to God? God sent David to Saul. At the time, Saul was doing great things. And he sent David in there but then, things got in his head. He's trying to take the throne. He's trying to do this. He began to think on things that weakened that. And God sent him one of the greatest warriors he would have in his army. And it caused a problem because of the thoughts that were coming in. It eventually caused a problem with one of his other great warriors, Jonathan. And instead of the army doing great things with these people, there were splits. And things weren't accomplished. And very often Jonathan is not with David because of all this 
conflict that goes on. God is going to send His best people to where He needs them the most. God is looking around for someone, for people that He can depend on. People who that He says, this is, a, this is someone that I can help. Now, he's, he's not looking around for people to love. He loves you. But He's looking for people that He can depend on and people that He can trust. You all know that we have little kids in the family when uh, we have our own little kids or grandkids or great-grandkids or whatever it is, and they're, they're real little. We love them. Oh, we love them, but we don't trust them. Mm-mm. No. I mean, if, I mean, Lumi is sweet and she's little, but if you want something broken, go ahead and give it to her. Because she's rough. So fling that thing across the room. God loves you. But it doesn't mean that He can trust you. It doesn't mean that He can depend on you. It may mean, boy, I love this one, but you know, as soon as things get tough, they vacate. They move out. They're not steadfast like I need. I need them to be steadfast. And so, through all the situations that we face, these are things that, that can solidify us in that area. That we can get the victory over emotion. That we can get the victory over what is coming at us physically. We can get the victory at what comes at us mentally. We can get the victory at the pressure that comes externally. I can get the victory over all these things. And every time that something happens, I'm looking at it as an opportunity. I can beat this. I can be better than this. I'm getting myself trained. I'm getting myself made ready. This is what we need to do. This is how we need to get ourselves going. The best support teams are made up of those that are not moved. I want to be on God's support team. I don't know about you, but I want to be one of those that God says, boy, if, if I need something, this is the one I can count on. But it's not going to happen just overnight. It's not going to happen because I know so much of the Word. It's not going to happen because God loves me more than anyone else. It's going to happen because when I have been put in the fire, I don't leave. I stay there. And I keep going. And I get that attitude. What? You got some more? Bring it on. Come on. Devil, that's, we're just, you're, you're not doing anything at all. Come on, let's go. Let's bring this on. You got some more? And we, we almost get to be antagonistic to them. That's how we need to be. Too many Christians were backing down. Oh, I don't know. Oh, I'm so wore out. Oh, I'm so tired. Oh, I'm so... And we convince ourselves, and then we begin to move. Do not move. God is looking for people to catch his eye. Jeroboam caught God's eye. He entrusted him with ten tribes of his beloved people. How much did Jeroboam have to walk in to get that? And yet, he fell off of it because a thought came and he entertained it, and he didn't cast it out. He didn't take charge over top of that. He entertained it. What are you entertaining? What are you allowing to shake you? Shake you emotionally? Shake you in what you believe in God, in the traditions, as Paul put it, that you have been taught from the Word? What am I allowing to shake me? Well, that hasn't worked for me yet. Is it in the Word? Well, yeah. Well, then stay with it. Don't, don't let it go. Keep going after it. Keep pressing in. Don't be moved. If you want to have support teams made up of people that aren't moved, i got to be one of those kind of people. We've all had people in our lives that when our going got tough for us, they seemed to get going too. What does God think when the battle gets tough and his people leave? His people back down. His people don't, don't hold fast. Not only do I need to make sure that I have a good support team for myself, I want to make sure that I am a good support person for God. God, if you put me here, then this is where you need me. Whatever battle I'm in, this is the battle that you need someone in 
to fight and to win. The enemy is going to say, that's not a battle. You're not doing anything for God. You're useless. He's trying to get you to move. I hope you take those, that list there of those four things and take it back to your life. What has the devil been working on to try and get some leverage in your life? What is he trying to get you to, to shake free from? What have you been holding on to? He says, I can't have you holding on to this anymore. We've got to get you to shake free from this thing. You see, the devil knows what will happen if you hang on to it. I want to be one who hangs on and who stays with it. Would you all stand up with me? Thank you, Father. Father, we thank you for your word. You've called us to be steadfast. You've called us to be one who is immovable. That when you give us an assignment, when you give us a place, we do not move from it. No matter what comes against us physically, no matter what comes against us mentally, no matter what comes against us emotionally, and no matter what comes against us externally, we will stand. We know these things are coming. They shouldn't surprise us. As James wrote, count it all joy when you encounter various tests and trials. It shouldn't be a surprise. We know the devil wants to move us off. And we need to get ourselves ready. As we go through all the skirmishes in life, we are being prepared for some of the battles that are ahead. You want us to be successful. And we want to be successful for you. We want to be one of those that's been tested and tried. And you know, in the midst of battle, this person will not leave. This person will stand and fight. Father, I thank you for the way that you're growing us up. Helping us to put these things to work. Through habitual use, we get these things put into our lives so that we are wearing them, not just carrying them. Thank you, Father, for your help in this. This morning, a couple of prayer requests we wanted to pray for. Sharon put in a request last week for God to raise up more citizens to get involved in government so that we can help ensure Americans have their God-given rights preserved. And I also ask for protection and strength for the persecuted church worldwide to raise up more leaders who stand for for, your, for God's plan and values. Marguerite said, My aunt is being placed on hospice. I pray that she's aware of God's presence and that my other aunt continues to have God's peace. They're both born again? Sounded like they, they were. Let's pray together with this. Father, I thank you. That though this one has been told that her time is short, I know that once we know the things of God, there's nothing but produce joy in this. That if she is indeed ready to move on to the next address, Father, I thank you for the peace that you give her in her life and those around her, including her sister. That God's peace would rule in their hearts. And I thank you for that. Father, in this world, we know that you're raising up citizens people that have a calling to get involved in government to do things Daniel was one of those who had a call in government his friends were ones that had a call to do things in government I bet other people were there too who just didn't answer the call or didn't answer it the way that it should have been done but those are ones who didn't read other people in the book of Esther who got involved in the things that were going on politically things in Moses' day, people got involved in what was going on politically and they were instrumental in what you brought about. Even in Jesus' day, we see some of these things go on. So I thank you for those that are being raised up and I thank you for the things that you'll be doing through them. We pray for the church worldwide. The enemy wants to wipe them out. But Father, you will prosper them. You will protect them. And I thank you for the things that you're doing around the church worldwide. 
Give you the praise and the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, glory to God. It is good to see those of you who made it on, on out here today. And it's good to have those of you who joined us online. We appreciate you, you joining in here. Have a good rest of your, your day. We'll see some of you here on, on Wednesday. So bless some people before you, you get out. Next Sunday, we will be having the prayer class after right after church. So you come prepared with uh, some food if you want to eat here. Or you can always go out to one of the local places. And that'll take place at about 1 o'clock here after church next week. You can see my wife if you have any questions on that. All right. Have a good rest of your day.